2: Live from the Nasdaq Market Center, overlooking New York City and Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Our traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Mark Tepper, Chris Verone, and Dan Nathan. Break out the eggnog. President Trump just saved Christmas. Stocks soaring after the U.S. delayed tariffs on key Chinese imports ahead of the holiday shopping season. Everything from big tech to retail rejoicing as video games close and toys all get a pass. But wait. Ooh the telltale indicator of global growth concerns the grinchy old bond market barely budged today so was today's rally actually your last best chance to sell now we don't want to rain on anybody's parade we are sure a lot of people out there are very happy that stocks rally today but at the same time for an asset class the bond market that has moved so um, you know extraordinarily in the past week and a half or so for it to barely move today that's a head-scratcher.
3: First of all, let's be clear. Love Mariah Carey whenever I can get her, <laughs> especially in the heat of the August you know, summer season. So, uh, but what you're talking about is, is that Treasury is so two tens now at three basis points. We haven't been here since 2007. You have a dynamic with the bond market, long bond about to set historical lows. We've talked about the U.S. curve ad nauseum, so let's talk about the rest of the world. In Germany, their, their ZEW economic confidence back to 2011 levels where we were still talking about green shoots, or so it seemed. So if you think about the equity market's euphoria today and is it, you know, is it a, a gift from Santa or is it truly just a reminder that, that the market is responding to headlines that, that really are masking what is going on underneath the surface maybe as a function of trade uh, I, that, look, that's where the bears are lining up um, I think the bulls can say if you remove trade war and you actually had a dynamic where we felt comfortable that um, geopolitics as, as the trouble hotspots were not going to take the world down that the economics for stocks right now in a low rate environment are not
4: awful
2: They're not awful, but we haven't removed trade war. We've just said, you know what, we're going to delay trade war for now on certain goods.
4: Right. So, I mean, the bond market is obviously much more rational than the stock market. Stock market's moving based off of a tweet, it seems like, every other week. Bond market, much more rational. There's Nothing has changed on the trade front, right? I mean, we just kicked the can down the road to basically save the holiday season. Um, The market is seasonally weak until October, and you ask the question, is now the best time to get out or the last, you know... the last time to, to actually exit stocks. Uh, and then when you add in the fact the 210 is close to inverting, if that happens, I think you see a full-blown algo sell-off.
2: I mean, to be fair, we've seen the 210s close I, to inverting oh i just got
4: to take a step back here. Wait, guys, are you going to be – are you going to find – It sounds like right Dan's going to be a voice So Guys, we're calm. talking
5: I hear like, there. like something constructive happened today by somebody saved Christmas – Guys, the president created this latest crisis okay, no, out of whole cloth. We on about. August 1st at one ten or 1.15 p.m. The S&P was in one and a half percent from all time highs, trading fabulously at 3,000. And then all of a sudden, we get this tweet about this extra 10% on $300 billion. This was created by them. This was a crisis created by them and solved by them. And I think it's very interesting that the S&P 500, while it did gap significantly today, closed well below those levels. From but you don't first. think it's been solved. Of course not. They created a crisis and then they, like, they solved it. They want to like, take credit for it. Right. It's ridiculous.
6: Well, Dan, I, I think when you look at what the message of the charts was today, has anything changed? Well, we're still in no man's land, right? We've been sandwiched between this 28-22, uh, last Monday's low, twenty nine, forty two. it's the 50-day moving average. We failed there now twice. I think you have to get back above that 29 level to make the case something has changed over the last week or two. If you look at the internals today, breath. Barely two and a half to one, so it wasn't that big, broad move that you typically get coming off a good tradeable low. So I think there is more work to do here. If we're going to call the all clear, I think it's premature for that.
5: Well, XRT, it was my final call yesterday. I said to sell it. But, Had a you know, great thing, day Hold today. on, but it gapped up two bucks, Mel, and it closed up one. That's not a great day given yeah. what you think happened in the broad market. If you look at the bank stocks, the s p closed up one and a half percent. Bank America closed up thirty bips. Most of them closed below one uh-huh. percent on the day. That's not great strength to me so as you head into retail earnings in the next week or two and you get disappointed in earnings, they're going to give it all back that right. was a bad setup that if you got this bounce um, into earnings and they don't actually confirm it so to me I actually think there's plenty of pockets of risk. The fact that we didn't close above 29.50 or something like that is a problem, too. So I think rallies get sold here. I think people got offside. So I'm, I'm States glad
2: States. that you brought that up because, Tim, Best Buy was your final trade yeah. yesterday. Be a seller of Best Buy, part of it was because of the trade war. Does this sort of encapsulate the danger of trading on these headlines? You know, the Trump tweet? The assumption that tariffs would go into effect September 1, which they're apparently not going to.
3: Yeah, let, let's be clear. I mean, we got CPI numbers out, and I'll, I'll address your point of a bad final trade of mine last night. But but we got CPI numbers this, today that said core CPI was also up three-tenths of a percent, not just, you know, ex-food and energy. There is inflation, but more importantly, for cons- for, for, for a lot of the retailers, and we're going to hear this, I think, from Walmart. Uh, but so back to Best Buy. Uh, Best Buy, who effectively is importing all of this stuff from Asia, uh, is in a very, very difficult process position. For a company that, that, to me, has gone through uh, both uh, just the, the whole secular shift in their business model and, and where Amazon has kind of wrecked and destroyed them, but their reliance on imports from that part of the world is unlike, to me, any other big box retailer in the world. So uh, when I look at the, they, look, they already gave some guidance. Their last round of earnings already knocked it down. It's a company that, to me, when it trades, when it trades cheap, it'll trade even cheaper. As we all agreed on this desk, nothing happened today. A 7% spike in something like Best Buy to me um, tells you just what kind of anxiety there is in that business model. And we sit here. This is a big moment.
6: There's trade. There's Hong Kong. There's Brexit. There's Argentina. And we have the S&P off three from the highs. Is that enough given what the headline risk is? Now, if you put this in context of the last six or seven months, maybe that is enough, right? Every single... uh, every single time well, it's enough been bought enough to get you back to the prior high and then maybe trade
5: one or two percent above it because as we talked about last night since January 2018 when we had this blow off top act after the tax cuts in late 2017 we have basically just made three incremental new highs mm-hmm. and that's not enough and we flush after all of them the the, the most the biggest one was three percent above a prior high so
2: what's the lesson of, the, of today's action to you the to the lesson sell, is you to may, sell this you, you, and then I think so and I, then I, I buy just, the I, I
5: just think so listen So what happens to this, Mel, is that let's say this call with the Chinese doesn't go well. Let's say they don't come to Washington in September. Let's say we have another tweet. The problem that I see is that every little tit-for-tat thing, the risk of an accident increases fairly dramatically. And I think people just forget that the the market sold off 20% in nearly a straight line in Q4 of 2018. Mm -hmm. I think there's a dip that you may not want to buy in the not-too-distant future,
6: especially given all the uncertainty that we have right
5: now. The
2: chartist, what is the message of the charts in your view? The
6: message is nothing has changed over the last week, week and a half. Okay, so what it means? I think we have to look at this move as no one's getting paid. Bulls aren't getting paid here. Bears aren't getting paid here. We need resolution here. Above 2950, 50 I think you want to buy it. 2822 is your line in the sand if you're tactically long.
2: All right. So is the bond market really telling a different story with the 10-year yield barely budging on news of this tariff delay? Let's bring in Jim Bianco, president of Bianco Research. Jim, thanks for being with us. You know, we've had some pretty extraordinary moves in the bond market, particularly when you take a look at the moves in the 10-year yield, the uh, 30-year yields as well. Um, And so today we had this risk-on rally in equities, and we had a bond market that didn't really move too much. What's your takeaway?
7: Well, I think the stock market, as you guys were talking about a minute ago, is all about trade and it's all about tariffs and it's all about saving Christmas. But if you look at what the bond market's been doing, it hasn't been about trade. It's been about a global slowdown. This started well before August 1st. It has accelerated through the Fed meeting when Paul did not deliver 50 and did say mid-cycle adjustment. The yield curve, the one that matters, I believe, is the three-month tenure, has been inverted since May. And the world numbers from global growth are slowing dramatically to the point where you've got now almost half of the world is at negative interest rates, X the United States. So the bond market is sending a clear message. There is a slowdown going around the rest of the world. Trade was probably just a piling on penalty, but removing that is not going to remove the fact that the world is slowing down. That's Mm -hmm. what bonds are reacting to, and it's sending a message that the funds rate is too high through the inverted yield curve, three-month, ten-year, and the Fed is slow, and it's getting more and more worried that we're going to have a mistake.
2: Okay, so it's still a barometer of, of global growth concerns um, at this point, but does the fact that the tariffs or some of the tariffs have been rolled back at least until December 15th, does that put a different floor under the ten-year yield, for instance? I mean, when so many people were saying a test of 135, the prior low, was, was in the cards, um, does that view change do you think?
7: I don't think it changes a whole lot. Mm-hmm. You, they, you, what you really need is, look, if you really want to talk about global growth, we really got to go uh, to um, what's happening in Europe. I you know Tim mentioned the ZW index in 2011. That was not a good time, 2011. The German industrial production numbers were an absolute disaster last year, it minus, our last week, excuse me, minus 5% year over year. The only time that happens is when they're in recession. And a lot of people are looking at Europe and saying, are they in a recession? It's how bad is the recession? And we're looking at Japan, and we're saying they can't get out of their own way, and they're going to raise taxes, and we've already got negative GDP numbers for the third and fourth quarter being estimated out of Japan. This is the problem that the bond market is seeing. We look at the United States, we see that it's all okay, but around us is where the
3: problem is. So, Jim, it's Tim. So I, I agree with you, obviously, on Europe. We've talked about that. Um, at what point do you think, though, because the Fed pivoted, the, the Fed was offsides, the Fed's made an adjustment, bond markets, the tenure's been cut in half. Um, at some point, the leading indicators, which you po- rightly point out, were leading us 18 months ago to where we are today. Um, does, does the global dynamic of the global economic sphere tell us that we're supposed to be going significantly lower from here because i think we've made a massive adjustment and as scary as it is to look at global interest rates where they are and you can still make an argument we're still inside of 2008 uh, this is something that we're slowly healing on
7: yeah i think you know when you look at the bond market you're right it has made an adjustment around the rest of the world it's why half the yields are negative but the u s has been slow the only thing that's even come close to its all-time lows is the 30-year? It just essentially touched it today for the first time. So our bond market is now the problem we face is it's out of line. You know, what one of the highest interest rates in the developed world is right now. It's the funds rate at two and a, at two and an eighth. Only the 30-year and the t- and the 15-year Italian yields are higher. Everything else is lower. That's never been the case. That the funds rate's been that way, uh, an outlier. So I think what the bond market is looking at is this low stuff. Yeah, you could probably make the case that we're probably closer to a yield low around the rest of the world, but in the U.S. it looks like it's early innings for rates to fall because we're so far behind everybody else.
2: Jim, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Great to see you, Jim Bianco, Bianco Research. Mm-hmm. Um, let's trade this. And you know, today I don't know if you guys saw this Bloomberg article reporting us uh, a comments from former Fed Chair Alan Greenspan saying that there is no barrier to negative rates here in the United States. So even Greenspan is opening the door to that possibility. Where do the you see sound- the, iron, the irony of
3: the guy that might have actually opened the door in the first place? But it, it sounds capitil. Yes, that's, that is true. You know, is that
6: the top and bomb prices we've seen over the last forty-eight hours? At J.P. Morgan, Pimco, all call for negative yeah. yield. In the U.S. So let's think about this. What hasn't been as dominant as we would have expected with bond yields going from 2 to 160 over the last month? Well, utilities have been okay, not great. Staples have been okay, not great. REITs have been okay. Shouldn't those groups have been more dominant here if bond yields continue to move lower? I've been surprised by that. Gold today and gold stocks today in particular got hit very, very hard. I'm uh-huh. curious if we're at some type of inflection point on bond oh, on yields. yields. That 160,
4: 165 level looks like it wants to hold.
2: Uh-huh. If you want to go bond proxy, where would you go?
4: Uh, well, I, mean, I think REITs are still a good uh, way to do that, but you know, overall, I think it just makes sense to maintain a more defensive posture right now. When I say defensive, I'm not necessarily talking utilities and consumer staples, but more so within tech. And we like tech. I'd rather be software over semis. So companies like Salesforce, Adobe, uh, and then healthcare. Healthcare is a sector that hasn't really performed well at all. Uh, at all, and it's been, in my opinion, unfairly punished. I mean, there's great med tech companies out there, like Intuitive Surgical, Abbott Labs, that are absolutely crushing it, and, and they're just not getting any appreciation. Right.
2: Coming up, shares of Tilray, they're getting burned on earnings. One top analyst will break down the results and tell us what it means for the rest of the cannabis space. Plus, the bull's taking charge today, and one market pro is four stocks that could take us even higher. He'll tell us what they are. We are live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this.
8: Welcome
2: back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert. Shares of Tilray trading uh, after hours at after hours lows after reporting results. Let's get to Aditi Roy in San Francisco with the details. Aditi.
0: Melissa, shares are down more than 7 percent right now. You know, Tilbury's been making a lot of investments at home and abroad. That's putting more pressure on its gross margins, and it contributed to its bottom line miss. But the company says those investments are resulting in big top line growth, which it projects will continue. Total kilograms sold more than tripled to more than 5,500 kgs from last year. Gross margins increased to 27 percent quarter over quarter. The company says gross margin continues to be impacted by increased Costs from ramping up cultivation facilities in Canada and Portugal, and acquiring third-party supply. CEO Brendan Kennedy was just on our air, telling CNBC they don't want to miss out on growth opportunities at home or abroad.
1: I think you know f- f- the way we look at this is it's it's early days. We're continuing to invest uh, to build long-term value for our shareholders. Uh, if we looked at individual countries like. Uh, Canada, for instance, we could be profitable there uh, within, uh, within two quarters. But when we look at one of the larger markets, such as Europe, uh, it, it's still uh, an opportune time to, to invest.
0: Some other company highlights, Tilray has increased its cultivation space in Portugal and Canada and has entered the U.S. CBD market with a hemp product from Manitoba Harvest. Analyst reaction is already starting to come in. Brett Cooper from Consumer Edge says, We continue to believe that profitability for Tilray and others is a ways off. Melissa, back to you.
2: All right, Aditi, thank you. Uh, let's uh, trade this. And before we get to that, a quick disclosure here. Tim does have a cannabis ETF, CNBS. Tilray is a component of that ETF. All the components are listed on our website, fast.cnbc.com. Um, so two quarters profitability in Canada, Tim. What do you think? If they
3: choose to. If, if they, choose they choose to. to so, I mean, so look, Brennan Kennedy has done a fantastic job at Tilray at, at positioning this company with some very impressive JV partners, whether it's ABI, whether it's uh, Novartis, you know, wh- whether it's Manitoba, whether it's authentic brands. But but look, the reason we have a very underweight position in our fund, uh, this relative to its overall market cap in the industry, is is they're, they're not doing anything in Canada. They're not necessarily growing, and in fact, they're a distant probably fourth or fifth player. Um, I, I think the, on the margin side, the path to profitability is still unclear. While these relationships with this company, I think, are very important, and they provide optionality, and I think it's a name as part of an overall portfolio um, you should have some exposure to, but here and now, it, it's hard to see where these guys are competing with the other big LPs in Canada in, in, in the cultivation market and straight to the consumer.
2: All right, let's get more on Tilray's quarter and bring in Rob Wertheimer of Melius Research. He's currently underweight, Tilray. Rob, great to have you with us. Um, you're actually negative the entire sector, as I understand it. You have been since May, so that's sort of the context of your comments here. But what did you make of the Tilray quarter? It looked like they spent a lot in order to expand their facilities.
9: Yeah, they did. Now, so I didn't think the quarter was all that bad at first glance. So um, there's a couple things happening. I think the, the cannabis market is transitioning to a, you know, hope and a dream to let's see what we can actually deliver on results. And we've seen that in the stock price over the last few months. Um, and the results have a couple components. On the revenue side, Tilray did pretty well. I mean, they, you know, they, they were selling more product. Uh, I think uh, volume was up 85 percent quarter over quarter. You know, year over year, we've got some uh, just some differences in the market. But uh, versus last quarter, that's pretty good growth. Uh, pricing was a little bit weaker than we thought, and that's a bit of a concern. But you know, the revenue side, they're actually doing okay. On um, and as you mentioned, and your reporters uh, showed, uh, you have had some investment, and that's fine. Uh, I think it's it's um, it's hard to really predict uh, EBITDA, and net income with great precision in an industry that's you know highly transitional, et cetera. So margins were a little bit weaker, maybe. Yeah, uh, but overall, the, the revenue wasn't so bad.
2: When you take a look at um, markets beyond Canada, Rob, which are the important markets for uh, for Tilray to, to really serve?
9: Yeah, what day is it? I guess. Uh, so I mean, they're doing a good job in trying to um, expand, as you know, um, into the U.S. Uh, when the U.S. you know sort of sorts out the various uh, complications on what we can do with CBD marketing, whether you can you know have it for consumption or just for topicals or whatever. So that's obviously the biggest and most important market. And then Tilray is also uh, planting a bunch of flags over in Europe, where um, it's lagging the U.S. in the legal environment, uh, and where we'll sort of see how much that pays off in the near term.
2: There are so many stocks, Rob, where you sort of say, this company is in growth mode, so it's going to spend money in order to grow, and it's going to spend money in order to grow revenues. Why, why isn't that the case for, for cannabis stocks? Or is it, and it's not just for, t- it's not for Tilray this quarter?
10: No,
9: I, th- I think, to be fair, I think it is the case. And I think okay. that, um, you know, I think they have grown revenues. I think that's good. I think that they've had this um, strategy a little bit more of trying to source in product in the wholesale market. And for whatever reason, the industry hasn't delivered as much as it could have over the last few months. And so they've lagged a bit. It's a fine strategy. It just, you know, had some tightness. And so um, they're coming along. And I think the margins, you know, are not yet indicative of what they'll be at maturity. And so I'm not sure that's overly a focus, real focus. Are they getting their brands out there? Are they putting product on shelves? And are consumers liking it?
2: It seems like the next quarter might be a little trickier, or maybe this quarter after that, when you laugh comparisons with the legalization of, of marijuana and for adult use in Canada. Is that a concern for you or...? or now? Yeah, there's,
9: you know, there's a couple things. It, it, it's a fair point, and that's one reason we didn't look at that year over year right now, because adult use wasn't legal in Canada a year ago, and so you know so it's obviously good growth rates, right? But quarter over quarter, they're selling a lot more product, and that's a good thing. The thing that we do have a concern with is that so Canada has had this staggered approach to legalizing, and not all products, edibles, beverages, um, some consumer vaping is not yet legal in Canada, and it will be. And so I think there's a lot of hope in the market that that will be transformational right when it comes online, mm-hmm. and we're a little bit more skeptical on just uh, how fast that will bring in new users who really consume a lot. Uh, that's a concern for 4Q and onwards.
2: All right, Rob, great to speak with you. Thanks for your time. Rob Wertheimer of Melius Research. Aurora Cannabis, by the way, is an overweight for Rob. Where do you see these potsocks going?
6: I mean, when you look at this one in particular, every single rally for the better part of the last 12 months has been sold. So if we're going to see a trend change here, we have to hold recent lows. The stock prints down after hours. 39.50 is the July 30th low. That has to be held. If this stock is going to start the process of putting in some type of a bottom.
5: Yeah. You know, listen, you know, in the last five years, you know, we've seen groups like this. We've seen it started 3D printing. We've seen so many mini bubbles. You know, I mean, to be very honest with you, what? No, we we (laughs) have. And and, and Bitcoin, every single one of them has popped. This one, if you look at Tilray, it popped.
3: You know, this is a stock. But Tilray was stock. unique because of their first US IPO because of the liquidity dynamics. It squeezed up to $300 just on that alone. I mean, yeah. you are right in terms of yeah. bubbleish valuations, but uh, you can't compare Tilray as a stock to the sector. Well, let's
5: let's talk about it in 6 months. I mean, to be very frank, if I were to invest in this space, I would invest with someone like you who's spending a lot of time with these companies doing that So I think buying one of these companies, I just don't know how anybody could value them given the market caps they have, given the regulatory uh, you know headwinds that they have which is unknowable like we're talking about Canada we're talking about Canada, we Canadian headwinds. usage in Canada i know but like it may never come federal here in the us and then you're going to be sticking Tel-ray is like it's you know like the options market you have theta that just decline you know just decays decays
3: decays that's what's going It'll on lead. in a, in a equity like yeah.
5: tilray right there yeah
3: well, I, here's, I, I'll say this um, valuation at 22 times 2019, EV to sales, um, it makes no sense. And, yeah. and so Dan is right to push back on it. I, I would just say regulatory is probably a tailwind for the sector, even though it's a complex regulatory environment but if anything there's a lot more doors to be open than to be closed maybe so, i mean and and i think what they're doing in a place like germany again i don't think Tilray's the name that you go uh go bonkers on I, I think what you do though is you look at those companies that have uh facilities where they have gmp certification and can get into places that are really growing markets and that's why you do your work all right
2: for more on Tilray's quarter head on over to cnbc.com i'm melissa lee you're watching fast money on cnbc here's what else is coming up on the show
10: a tech turnaround. Apple's soaring today as the U.S. takes a tariff timeout. Is this an all-clear for the tech titan? But first, hungry for yield? We found four names to feast on. We're serving them up when Fast Money returns.
11: Every day.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. It was a day for the bulls on Wall Street, stocks surging after the U.S. delayed some tariffs on China. But trade tensions are far from gone and One Money Manager has four ways to protect your portfolio against further damage. Let's bring in Todd Walsh, the CEO of Alpha Cubed Investments. He's got $1.4 billion in assets under management. Todd, great to see you again.
10: Thanks for having me. Um, What's
2: your general market view at this point? Has anything changed?
10: You know, I started in 1986 and there are two phrases that really get my attention. One is the SEC is launching an accounting inquiry into a firm for irregularities, but the other big one is troops are massing at the border. And there's a lot of issues out there notwithstanding today's wonderful relief rally. Mm-hmm. Um, I go back and I look at the uh, ten-year at 3.2 last year. Remember we were all really worried about it going to 3.4, 3.7. Flash forward one year later, we're at 1.7. Growth prospects are murky at best and the market is still at the exact same level that it was at one year ago today, at about 2,900. So what's going on? We've got a feedback loop between the Fed, the real economy, trade wars, uh, the White House, and it's keeping it in suspended animation. Mm-hmm. We think this is probably not gonna be resolved anytime soon. So at Cubed Investments, we've been steering our investors in a different direction all year. You might remember on my last visit, I was talking generally about value, but now we're lasered in on a certain type of company companies that are U.S.-based, large-cap, um, value-based companies, companies with a below-market metric, companies with great earnings per share, cash flow per share, revenues per share, but more importantly, higher-than-average dividends, two and a half, three and a half, three 3% kind of thing, with sustainability, good payout ratios, And definitely above average payouts.
2: Okay, we have a full screen, I think, of all the picks that you like. Verizon, MetLife, United Parcel, Johnson & Johnson. We can see that the yields are are much greater than the S&P 500 yield overall right now. I want to ask you on some specific ones, though, for UPS. UPS has had difficulties, and it is exposed to a global slowdown. So why would you pick that?
10: UPS came out with a pretty good earnings report uh, a couple of weeks back. Uh, It's been probing that 120 area. And with that dividend at 3.2 percent, and I think a 15 times multiple, we think they're going to do well in this environment. We think these types, this class of investments, is going to act like an ATM for investors. And to paraphrase the late, great Ross Perot, It may act or what we may see as a giant sucking sound of money into the sector where it's extremely well-treated.
2: Okay, and Johnson Johnson's got some litigation risk uh, involving talc, and I'm just wondering how you handicap that.
10: Uh, Definitely a headwind for that company, but on the other hand, this uh, leader, diversified healthcare company, paying about a 2.9% dividend, 15 times multiple. This is one of the only two companies in the country still rated AAA by S&P, the other one being Microsoft. Paying dividends since 19, 1963, it's a very high-quality company, and we think they're going to do well.
2: All right, Todd, great to see you. Thanks so much, Todd Walsh Thanks, of Alpha Cubed Investments. Which Appreciate one it. of uh, Todd's stocks well, well, do you like, I, or maybe I, you don't like any? No, I, I do. <laughs> I actually,
3: I, I do. I like I like Verizon, and I like Johnson and Johnson. I, I I do think that if you break down his arguments about the the scariness out there, the cyclicality of UPS, um, and and even MetLife. I mean, these these those are sectors I don't think I want to be in, but. Johnson & Johnson, in terms of their pharma bucket, which is a significant part along with their medical devices, they actually have growth there of 8 to 9%, which is actually better than their pharma peers. I, I, Jan Jay, I
4: would own. All right, Mark. So we like We own Verizon. We own Johnson & Johnson. We did own MetLife until a couple months ago. We sold it. We moved the money into Progressive. I think there's better opportunities within auto insurance right now. All the vehicles are much more safer today with adaptive cruise control, autonomous driving. All that stuff is going to reduce accidents. But at the same point in time, premiums are not going to be reduced dollar for dollar.
6: UPS really stands out to me as something that's quietly getting better with no attention. This is a stock that went from 140 to 90. The bear market's happened here. Good earnings, stock responded, we love stuff that goes up on bad news. This one's quietly getting better, and it speaks to an environment where the world's on fire, yet this air freight stock is getting better, and the truckers are actually quietly getting better maybe the market's already discounted a lot of the problems that are already out there.
5: Yeah, so as Todd said, speaking of Ross Perot and sucking, I mean, Verizon unchanged on the year kind of sucks. Um, But AT&T quietly (laughs) up 22% on the year, trading at 52-week highs, breaking out of this massive downtrend it's been in since the highs in 2016. That one looks really constructive and actually a much higher
6: yield.
2: I like the Chris Rohn. I love it.
6: Love it. It's turned. (laughs) Love it, too.
2: All right, coming up, Tariq delay sending shares of Apple soaring, but is this really the all-clear for the tech giant? And later, the big global risks for your money. Tensions flaring in Hong Kong again today. How the markets are navigating this turmoil. We will take you live to the region. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Apple surging nearly 5% today, the best day in more than three months. The tech titan getting a huge boost from news that the U.S. will delay some tariffs on Chinese goods until mid-December. So how much higher can Apple run in the meantime, I mean, this is certainly a sigh of relief, at least until December 15th. When
5: you think about in market cap terms, yeah. how much that stock rallied in such yeah. a short period of time, it was crazy. And, you know, you have to go back and think about August 1st. Before that tweet came out, Apple was trading really well. It was trading at $220. The company had given better than seasonal guidance for the current quarter. Yeah. Interestingly enough, today the stock was unchanged before this uh, announcement came out about the trade. And Credit Suisse had a note out this morning saying that July saw a massive bounce back in iPhone shipments um, in China uh, for Apple. And that was kind of interesting because that would support the thesis of that better than expected guidance. So this one, to me, I think obviously could get back up to those highs post earnings in a market that's
4: stable, that doesn't have these tariffs coming. So, So I could see this thing going as high as 240 by the end of the year. Um, There's really three main growth drivers for Apple. Number one, obviously, you have the 5G phone, which doesn't hit until 2020. You've got wearables. You know, they're doing really well with the watch, the AirPods. But in my opinion, the most important really is their shift towards services, right? High margin, recurring revenue services, and they've been doing really well there as well.
3: Tim. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm Long Apple and I'm an investor in Apple, and you've heard me say I think the multiple should be, it certainly a blended multiple has this thing significantly higher. Uh, but I also think that in the short run, there's very little for me that says this, this gets away from me. So at the risk of turning this into an options action show, I, mean, I think you should be selling upside, you should be selling covered calls here, um, one to two months tops. I, I don't want to mess around with the holiday season. I don't want to mess around with anything beyond a lot of seasonal volatility in a name. There's no way it gets away from you here in the next six weeks. And, and on a daily like today when it spiked up 5%, that's a nice time to sell some upside ball.
2: So you just want to own the stock I want you, to own want to, this,
3: you want to boost your return? If I get called away at, yeah. at, at 220, which is why I sold these things, that that doesn't bother me.
5: Yeah, real quickly, you know, again, we're going to get an announcement about the new iPhones when the rollout's going to be yep. in September, and then maybe you see new iPhones at the end of September, maybe you see a higher-end phone at some point in November. You know, those tend to be kind of sell-the-news sorts of things, especially if they rally into it. So to me, to your point, I think if you get back up to those post-earnings highs near 220, that could be a great opportunity to overwrite your stock by selling calls against it.
2: All right. Well, it's not just trade news that's boosting Apple. The technicals also pointing to a possible breakout. And that could spell good news for some of the tech giants' most important suppliers. So let's go off the charts. Chris, we're going to send you over to the plaza to you can do your thing.
6: Yeah, well, I think what's so remarkable about the stock, it's August 13th of 2019. The stock trades 209. That's precisely where the stock traded on August 13th of 2018. We are unchanged. 209 today, 209 precisely 12 months ago. So let's take a little bit of a longer look out. And get an idea of where we are. And I think what's interesting about the chart here over the last couple of years, we're at this point where resolution is coming. We've had these series of higher lows uh, over the last six or seven months, and we've also had these series of higher lows uh, over the last several months. Which way does this break? I think ultimately up. That 215 level has been a big, big number for a long time. I've actually been impressed, even before today, how well the stock has acted despite the headwinds uh, that are out there. Now, I want to take a longer look at Apple. This is over the last 12 years. What's been so remarkable about these drawdowns is the symmetry. 2007-2008, from high to low to high, about 90 weeks. 2011-2012 into 2013, high, low, high, about 95 weeks. Very similar in 2015, 2016. High, low, high, 93 weeks. We're about 60 weeks into this right now from... The high last year to where the stock trades today. So maybe there's more time in front of us. But I do think ultimately, as we learned in 08, 11, 15, 16, the stock tends to resolve higher. We think ultimately it breaks out. Now, how about the ecosystem? Are there names related here that we can get exposure to? Micron is another one in the semi-space that actually acts okay despite all the headwinds. We've had just recently the 50-day average break above the 200-day So the trend environment here is starting to get uh, a little bit better. Another example, Texas Instruments, TXN, a stock that only recently broke out of about an 18-month base. So are some of these semis actually beginning to lead what Apple may do uh, from here? We love TXN. I like how it's consolidated above the 50, above the 200. There's been no damage done here over the last several weeks. And then lastly, Cirrus Logic, CRUS, one of the biggest providers here, Another name where you've seen a very meaningful turn here. You had the bear market. The stock has been bottoming over the last six or seven months. Again, 50 up above the 200. So the trend environment here has gotten better. I think you buy consolidations here. I think, ultimately, a micron, a Texas Instruments, a Cirrus, is sending a good message that, ultimately, Apple will will resolve higher here, not lower.
2: Chris, why don't you come back over? Micron, I would be concerned that it's still swept up in Huawei concerns because it's a major Huawei supplier.
3: Yeah, and, and I think, again, you, Micron is one of these names that tends to overshoot in either direction. We, we certainly know what the headwinds are to their core business in terms of pricing on DRAM. Um, when, when you think about where the street got to it in the valuation, it probably got too cheap. You've had a massive rally here. And yes, you still are stuck in, in some cyclical and specific trade issues that are not going to
4: resolve anytime soon. I don't know why you chase it.
2: So if Apple's goes to 240, as you think... Do you like the suppliers?
4: I don't. I don't. You know, so we have very not? limited exposure to uh, to those chip stocks. Uh, we do own Broadcom. I like Broadcom because, in my opinion, it's a, it's a more defensive semi with its building. You know, it's building out some software exposure within uh, the company. And we like Nvidia. Nvidia gives us access to those high growth end markets such as autonomous vehicles, data center, gaming, all that stuff that we want to play.
5: You know. Uh, I- Again, Texas Instruments, not a huge supplier to Apple, about 6% 5%. or something like that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that is one of the best-looking charts in the whole market. It actually underperformed the SMH for a good part of the last year and a half. 120 was that line, got rejected from on numerous occasions. The, here's the thing about the guidance that they gave in late July. It wasn't even that good. It just wasn't as bad as was feared, and that had a 7% gap. I think holding 120, that thing looks like a good
3: floor for it. Say that one more time for the viewers at home. One of the best-looking charts in the market. No doubt about it. One of the best-looking charts in the
5: market. That is Texas so
2: rare because so it's usually the worst-looking chart in the market. <laughs> that
3: is. No, that's so, just
2: that's my bad. line is what I you're saying. I think we need yeah.
3: to take in this moment.
2: Yeah, okay, okay, okay. I take, just did. Take it in. Up next, retail back in fashion, posting one of its best days of the year. The move, sparking a surge of options activity as one big name gears up to report results tomorrow. We will break down the action, plus Hong Kong protests reaching a boiling point. We will tell you what it means for the market. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. It has been a rough year for retail, but check out the XRT. That's the ETF that tracks the space having its best day in more than two months after the U.S. delayed some tariffs on certain Chinese goods. But options traders are betting the retail rally could get cut short when one big name reports results tomorrow. Mike Coz in San Francisco with The Action. Mike, what are you looking at?
1: Uh, We're looking at Macy's. So this is a name that has moved about seven and a half percent or so on average after their earnings. It's implying a move of about nine percent right now, which may seem like it's bigger than average. But I think it's worth considering that this stock has fallen sharply. And as it has done so, the equity is going to become more volatile because the rest of the balance sheet hasn't been shrinking. You've basically got a lot of debt here. And I think somebody might be taking a look at that because we saw the September 27th 18.5-16 put spread, trade 2,350 times. The buyer paid $0.70 for those. The buyer of that put spread is betting on a decline of at least 8% and maybe as much as 18% by September 27th, which is 45 days away. And I think this is an important thing to pay attention to. When you have stocks like this that have declined considerably, you're actually adding leverage to the equity, and you have to price that into the options. Here, I think, actually, even though it is an above-average implied move, Given that fact, I think the options are still cheap going into earnings right now.
2: All right, Mike, thanks for that. Mike Cohen, San Francisco, for more Options Action. Check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Coming up, protests in Hong Kong flaring up again today. We'll tell you how the clash could hit the open in Asia. We're live in the region straight ahead. But first, take a look at the Kramer cam. Jim is breaking down what to buy following today's big rally. That is coming up on Mad Money at the top of the hour. We're live at the Nasdaq Market Site in Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. We are continuing to follow a major developing story out of Hong Kong. Tensions flaring once again today as police in riot gear clash with demonstrators at Hong Kong's main airport. And we're just getting fresh comments from the White House. Let's get to Eamon Jabbers for the very latest. Eamon.
11: Melissa, we've got a new statement here from a senior administration official on events in Hong Kong. The official saying, uh, in part freedoms of expression and assembly are core values that we share with the people of hong kong and these freedoms should be protected the united states firmly rejects the notion that we are sponsoring or inciting these demonstrations so the the official had also said uh, some of the comments that the officials gave us yesterday saying that the united states continues to monitor the situation in hong kong and they're urging all sides to remain calm safe and peaceful Quoting the president here, saying, as the president has said, they're looking for democracy, and I think most people want democracy. But a new and unequivocal denial here now from the United States side that the U.S. has anything to do with these protests that are going on in Hong Kong,
2: Melissa. Can this statement, though, live side by side by, uh, you know, to President Trump's comments earlier that this is really a matter for China to deal with?
11: Well, the president has said that, and uh, he's also been tweeting about this today. The president suggested that U.S. intelligence had some evidence that Chinese troops were massing on the border of Hong Kong earlier today in a tweet. The White House hasn't provided any detail whatsoever to back up that tweet. They haven't briefed us on any uh, intelligence that the U.S. has. So all we have to go on now is that tweet. Uh, And the president also suggested, in a tweet earlier today, that people are blaming him uh, and the United States for events in Hong Kong. Uh, And sort of dismissed that. Uh, suggestion in a tweet earlier today. Now we have sort of a formal denial here from a senior administration official saying uh, the United States rejects the notion that it has anything to do with this.
2: All right, Eamon, thank you. Eamon Javers you bet. Uh, for us in Washington. Well, the protests playing out a big way in the Asian markets, Hong Kong's main stock index, the Hang Seng, hitting its lowest level since the start of the year. Markets in Asia are getting ready to open for the day. So let's get straight to CNBC's Shri Jai live in Singapore with the latest. Shri.
12: Hi, Melissa. Yes, uh, let me just pick up on what Eamon was saying there. There is an unprecedented level of political risk emanating from Hong Kong now. And uh, you saw those pictures there, the streets of the financial capital resembling that of Caracas. And we also saw uh, those uh, clashes in uh, the airport as well, continuing for a second day In flights delayed. Uh, This is not a localised risk anymore. This is now having global repercussions on sentiment. And the next big risk, of course, is if Beijing says enough is enough. These protesters have crossed a red line and the People's Liberation Army is deployed. We're not there yet, though, but if that situation does happen, if the Chinese military does intervene in Hong Kong, then you can bet that there will be widespread international condemnation and this takes this situation to an entirely new dimension. So, summing up, risk on for now because we are inheriting something of a turnaround Tuesday your side in your markets. That should offer something off a respite to us. But you've got to bet that a lot of risks still remain on a global basis, on a regional basis as well. We continue to be at the mercy of uh, the uh, trade-related headlines. There's still a big drag from all the uncertainty, trade-induced uncertainty. And then, of course, Add to that wall of worry. You've got a lot of idiosyncratic risk coming from emerging markets and Europe now. And then, of course, the localized risk in Hong Kong just became global, quite arguably. Back to you now.
2: Shri. thank you. Shri Jagaraja in Singapore for us. Uh, Tim, obviously, if you're invested in the ETF, EEM, right. you've got to be worried. If you're in FXI, you've got to be worried. Um, how did this become yeah. a tradable event at this point?
3: Well, um, and by the way, Sri, sitting in Singapore, remember, yeah. from China's perspective, Hong Kong's loss is Singapore's gain as a regional center, and I think there's, there's major major fallout that would come from this. But if you look at the EEM, 40 percent of China, over 60 percent of its Asia. In fact, the irony is, of course, when we hit that blow off top in Jan of, of 2018, um, that's just when you got a heavier weighting. That was the last peak in emerging markets effectively, making nine-year lows on a, on a relative basis to the S&P continue to look weaker here, uh, at least on a relative basis. I don't in the short run, if you got a trade war, everything was, you know, hunky dory um, and you really had that Santa Claus. EM is oversold here. And again, in, in, in relative terms, it is. But it's it's difficult to see when you look at the global growth dynamics and the, the trade protectionism all over mm-hmm. Japan, South Korea in a spat. Um, you see uh, central banks around the world scrambling for growth. The only good news for EM is where there used to be historically inflation issues and dollar issues. You don't see that right now.
2: Sheree made a good good point in that Asia tomorrow uh, may not be a good tell on the the day session because it's inheriting what we did here in the United States. But let's say you wake up at 7 o'clock in the morning. What's the first thing that you take a look at?
5: Yeah, I think you want to look at, uh, you know, Chinese equities. I mean, obviously Hong Kong is important. You know, back in 2015, when we had uh, some similar kind of volatility in, uh, emanating from China, um, you know, the Shanghai, interestingly, had gone from 2,000 to 5,000, the composite. Now, it's not moving around the way it is. It's below 3,000, that sort of thing. So I don't think it's a great tell. And I actually think the Chinese have probably done a good job holding that much smaller equity market relative to the SPX kind of stable, so they're not being the one that they're seeing a lot of volatility coming from one way or another obviously
4: a lot of listed stocks here are moving around a lot
2: what's on your screen at 7 a.m
4: yeah so the first thing i would look at is alibaba that's a company we own we like it it's back down to 164 Mm bucks but with alibaba you're getting part amazon part paypal part grubhub all with three times the total addressable market. So that's what we're watching. Quick on yours. I think ultimately,
6: what are the related trades? Be careful with European luxury stocks, LVMH. Mm. Uh, Those have been very tied to this over the last couple of years. There's probably some risk there.
2: All right. Up next, final trades. Time for the final trade. Tim.
3: We've talked about some other names like this one, AT&T, fits that yield mode. That's not why you own it. Again, HBO Max, there's different drivers here, lower rate environment. Yes, this is an
4: interesting name. Mark Tepper. Green Thumb, GTBIF. It's a multi-state operator. Even without legalization, they had the opportunity to quadruple revenues over the course of the next two years. And the CEO is the great-grandson the great of the guy who navigated Jim Beam through Prohibition. So who better?
2: Chris Verone.
4: The housing stocks
6: at great. D.R. Horton is one of our favorite. Just broke out. Great relative strength. I think you own it here. Yeah,
2: Nathan. You
6: know, I'm going
5: to go with a Verone stock here that really? I said I think is one of the nice. best-looking charts Again, in so the collegiate. market right here. Texas Instruments. Uh, here's the big kicker. Okay. Earnings weren't fantastic. They were just good enough, and the stock gapped up. I think you used as a stop to the downside. All right. right that on.
2: does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.